0: Well, thank you all again uh, for being here, and we do appreciate uh, those of you that are attending. And uh, I hope that uh, uh, as the days increase, this this pestilence will get under control, and we can extend uh, our time together, uh, having more more time together, more more folks together. And uh, it's it's strange not being able to get around uh, anybody, and so. Uh, we do ask that uh, you continue to pray for uh, removal of this pestilence and for things to get back to whatever normal is going to be. I don't think things are going to ever be uh, like they were before. And uh, let's make a promise to each other and to our Lord Jesus that we will do whatever it takes to be light and salt during this time. Uh, When the world starts to break down, Uh, Jesus expects us to go up and become more prominent and more vocal, speaking out for righteousness. And so uh, that's the place that I hope we will all go. If you have your Bibles, turn them to James chapter 3. We're going to continue this look at James and uh, we're getting into the very center of the book where he's going to make some, I think, troubling statements. Things that are hard to take in and things that are going to require us to sacrifice, and to start thinking deeply about what's going on inside of our hearts. And uh, so let's read, uh, I'm not going to read the first 12 uh, verses, but I am going to pick it up uh, with uh, verse 13. And then we'll talk a little bit more about how He's, how he's putting all these things together. So here now the Word of God starting in 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." This is the Word of the Lord. You know, um, The first 12 verses of this chapter, what we talked about last week, is hard to take in. James is saying that what you say, what comes out of your mouth, is attached to your heart. Jesus said the same thing. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. The Proverbs say the same thing. Guard your heart. Watch out what's in there, because out of it will issue the forces of life. And so what we say... Is what's going on inside our heart. And what is going on, on inside our heart is what we are hearing and taking in day by day. And I'm very, very concerned. I'm like you. I have my news feed on my phone and I'm watching the news and I'm listening to people and I'm hearing a lot of hatred and vitriol coming from, I don't care what side of the political aisle you happen to be on. But these voices that are constantly speaking are filling your heart and my heart with certain things. And all you have to do is listen to what is coming out of your mouth, what is inside in your thinking, and you will find out what's got you. You'll find your idols. They're there. And if something enrages you, you have to be honest enough to take that inner look, and that's what James is doing. Now, his context was different, but not as much as you might think. There were political things going on in his day, and the church was, was being persecuted mercilessly in many places, and it was going only going to get worse, and many of these apostles are warning their people, I'm warning you, things are going to get worse. I'm not going to sit here and tell the audience out there and everybody else a lie and say, oh, things are going to be fine. The economy is horrible. We have 13% unemployment. We've got rioting going on the street. We have black people and white people hating each other, burning down everything. Both sides are burning down everything. People with guns. And we have rage and hatred that is just filling our streets and our minds. That's my job, is to get up here and do this. I get paid enormous amounts of money to do this. And uh, I want you to know, I'm telling you the truth. Watch out what's going into your eyes and your ears and your heart. What you're taking in. Because it will take root and it will become a thing, an idol in your heart, and it will lead to fire and destruction. That's what the first 12 verses are he's telling this is a fire and who in the world can control it he leaves us in verse 12 hopeless listen to what George Stulak said in his commentary its just stunning James leaves the audience at verse 12 what we didn't read he leaves the audience with a sobering hopeless picture the certainty of judgment in other words God is going to judge this He is not going to sit back and say, oh, everything's okay. He is going to bring his hand on this. And he does it in every generation, every time. He starts in the house of old of God. And then it moves out into our society. If the church is healthy, society will do better. If the church is not healthy, society will suffer. It is not because of the Republicans or the Democrats or Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or anything else like that has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the health of the church, us. It starts with us. And James is telling the church, it's hopeless. Listen, the certainty of judgment, this is from a a great commentator, the certainty of judgment and their vulnerabilities, talking about us, not the world out there. In that judgment, because of the terrible evil they do with their speech. Not just what we say, but everything that's going on in our mind. What are we thinking? What, what is rolling around up there in our mind? Because it's, our, it's us, our, what's in our heart. Okay, listen. It leads to one of the most fundamental questions of life. You want to know what the meaning of life is? Your Bible is telling you all the time. The fundamental meaning of life questions of life, anyone must face. Anyone. How can I hope to purify my behavior? How, what am I going to do about my behavior? He's talking about outward behavior, but he's, it's much more than that. Because you can act right outside, but inside you can be full of dead men's bones. So the Bible never separates outside from inside. That was the, the, the press of Jesus' ministry, why He enraged the Pharisees, because He went in there and He started digging around and getting up in their business about their heart. They didn't care about the heart. They wanted to see the outward behavior be right. But Jesus dug. And in the Messianic kingdom, which is we live in right now and will for the next 2,000 or 5,000 or 10 million, I don't know how many years, we are in the Messianic kingdom and we are in those last days and the church has got to watch its heart. It's speech, inside, outside. It's behavior. The whole thing's a package. You don't separate them. Jesus won't allow it. He just won't. He's your king. and he will not allow it. He's saying, "No, no, no. And so if you are one of those who are claiming to believe in him and you're trusting him, then the only thing you can say to that is, "Yes, yes, yes." Yes? Yes. yes. Let's hear. It. The people are watching all of. there's thousands. Let them hear your voice. Go ahead, yes, of course, my goodness, what are we crazy? This king came down to earth, gave his life for us. All we have to say to him is yes, for everything, anything. Okay, how can we hope to purify our heart, our behavior, our speech? This is Stulak still. When it flows from a corrupt and inward character, you see you're letting your heart, something's happening to you inside when, when these voices from hell are speaking. How can my heart be changed? Is there any hope? And James goes from that hopeless, those 12 verses, hopeless, 3, 1 through 12, oh my gosh. He's, he leaves you just hanging, and then he brings hope. Who is wise among you and understanding? This is what we need, wisdom. He said it in verse 5. If you lack wisdom of chapter 1, he said if you're going to be in trial, you're going to be, you know, the world is not as it should be. Things are going to be rough. You're going to need wisdom to make your way through. What is that? And James does something amazing. He does not define wisdom in these next few verses He describes it. He says, here's what wisdom looks like. He doesn't give us a definition. I find that to be amazing, because in the West, we just want want definitions. Give me a dictionary, give me a definition, and then I'll see if I can do it. He doesn't do that. He expects you to know what wisdom is. Here's what it looks like. And then it just gets amazing. And if you will give your heart to it, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, transformation, not just outside, but inside. You can purify yourself. The goal of James' whole epistle is how do I purify my heart? How do I come to uh, maturity and not be a child anymore? How can I mature? And I'm sorry I've seen a lot of childish behavior in churches. And I've seen a lot of childish behavior in myself and in other pastors. Time we grew up, folks. Yes? Let them hear you. Come on. Don't act like a Presbyterian today. Let's, let's be Pentecostal. Yes! Wow! Let's, let's change. Let's transform. He gave you a will, didn't He? Use it. If you're a Calvinist, you know what I'm talking about. You have free will. Today, right now, if you're born again, you have free will. You have a will that is no longer under the control of Satan. Yes? No longer under the control of darkness. You're now under the control of Holy Spirit. And you can choose before your choices were impinged upon. They were being controlled by other things. But Jesus comes and new birth happens. And we are to grow in that new birth and become wise. And wisdom will lead us to do things that are right before God. And here's what he does. We've got to go quick because we, we're being told we can't be together for very long. So let's, pastor, will you... Go fast? Yes, I will. Okay. Did you see that? Isn't that interesting? Who's talking up there? I don't know. (laughs) All right, real quick, let's do this fast. Look, he's gonna give us three things. It's really easy. There's no secret to this. You I mean you just look at the look at the passage. He tells us the essence or the DNA, what wisdom is made of. What, what is its stuff? Then he tells us its source, and then he gives amazing. How is it expressed? If you're wise, what's that going to look like? Really, really great, great stuff. Look at verse 13. He's going to tell you the essence or the DNA of wisdom. He's not going to give you a definition. He's going to tell you what it's made of. Okay, this is pure gold coming from your apostle James. Who is wise? Who is understanding? By your good pardon me by your good conduct show your works in the meekness of wisdom we know what good works are we know what evil works are we know what they are he's telling us how wisdom is how it how it shows itself in good works in good conduct listen in the meekness of wisdom meekness He's talking about a word that could be translated probably better in the ESV. It's translated meekness. But it also could be translated humility or gentleness. Humility or gentleness. He's saying that that is foundational in the life of a Christian. A kind of humility and gentleness that is just running. It's like a... Uh, your hard drive running in the background. It's just always there. It's to direct and drive our lives. Humility and wisdom and gentleness. It will lead us to good conduct. James is condemning arrogance, pride, and all that goes along with it. Self-righteousness. You know, when we have self-righteousness, we think we're doing things right. It just oozes out of our body pride and arrogance we may not even say it but we start to look down on people we're having a discussion in our our leadership we're talking about how to go forward in these days of racial division and hatred this is the kind of leadership you have in our church men and women who care deeply about how we are going to interact with our culture. We're not going to go hide in a hole. How are we going to get out there and be salt and light? You need to know that. That at every level in our church, from the session, deacons, women's council, we're all talking about this. What is the, the reality going to be going forward? Because it's not going to be like it was anymore. How are we going to be wise? St. Augustine was asked, I've told you all this many times, St. Augustine was asked by his students, what is the chief virtue or the chief rule of Christianity? What is the chief one? Now, you would think, what, what would you think immediately? Love, right? Or faith or something like that. And Augustine said no to his students. He said the first chief virtue. The first precept in Christianity is humility. So his students said, oh yeah, I get that, okay, humility. What's the second one? Guess what he said? Humility. And then students go, okay, what's the third chief? Humility. You can't move on to any other. You can't love people if you're not humble. It's just an act. If you're not broken inside, if you're not down, if you're not understanding who you are in God's eyes. You can't be humble. You have to know who you are. And so, C.S. Lewis famously said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not putting yourself down. It's not self-loathing. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. How do we think, you know, are we the center of our universe? Are we able to start cracking that open and moving out into the lives of other people? Now, I know it's hard. Listen, that's not easy. But can you start doing, can you start seeing that the Christian life is an outward move? You become outward facing. At the same time, you're very carefully, inwardly critiquing yourself, your loves, your motives, your actions, you're looking down inside, you're doing both. Biblical humility I'm going to give you a little bit of a definition here. Biblical humility is a hundred percent lowliness, meekness, gentleness, and a hundred percent fiery boldness and confidence that can exist in one person. How do you get that? Jesus was that. He was, he was so humble and gentle. He said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come learn about me. I'm humble. I'm low. I'm gentle. He used this word, by the way. I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm here. And the next minute, he's breathing fire and power and strength and healing and making the water still and the sea level. And you know what I mean? Just amazing. Boldness and humility because he knew who he was. He knew what made him. Jack Miller, uh, one of the founders of our denominational structure in the PCA, conservative Presbyterianism, (laughs) Jack Miller uh, said this, and many of you have heard this. It's very... He said, cheer up. Cheer up, you're far more sinful and weak and evil than you ever dared to believe. But cheer up, you're far more loved, valued, and accepted, than you ever dared to dream. At the same time, 100% humility because of our sins, our wickedness. I, I, I mean, it's awful sometimes you look in your heart and you go, gosh, I'm born again, what's going on in here? Root it out. Go for it. Go at it. Don't give in. Say, oh, I can't help it. Give. Go at it. You're far more valued, more loved. That's the motivation to going at it. Not just moral improvement. There's plenty of people better than you. In fact, the whole world is better than you. I'm better than you. <laughs> You guys don't know when to laugh. I'm not better than you. I'm the, I'm the most surprised of anybody that I'm even a Christian. I went to my 40th, uh, 40, I don't know, was it 40, 40th anniversary uh, of uh, high school? Refer- What's it called? A, a reenactment? <laughs> a lot of them wanted to reenact, but they couldn't. They're too dang old now. <laughs> a, a reunion. I went to my reunion, you know, you're there at the high school reunion and, you know, all that. And, and, and uh, I, people would come up. They, they knew me in a certain context in high school. I went to high school here in El Paso. And, and I, was, uh, I, I was awful. I won't even go into the details of how bad. And our little group that I ran with were bad. And we were all bad. And we were drunk. And we were violent. And we were stupid. And we drove fast. We all had race, muscle cars. And we were nutty. And so I met the 40th reunion, and people say, oh Chuck, I haven't seen you in 40 years. What are you doing now? Great question. I'm a pastor. You what? And my answer was, yeah, can you believe that? I'm the most surprised of all. (laughs) You know, I mean, how can you be? They didn't remember me in that context. So think about that. So low and sinful and so loved and embraced that's the dna of wisdom what is the source of wisdom look very carefully here it's not hard he talks about hell and heaven he talks about demonic wisdom that is out there and we're listening to it i'm telling you that what you're hearing out there in the news and all this stuff that is going on in our country is demonic not just cnn Not just MSNBC. It's all demonic. You have to sift through a lot of that trash to get to the truth. And God is expecting you to be able to do that with wisdom, that you can sift through it and say, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. It's not from above. Look at verse 15. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He said, but there's another one that's from above. It's it's the same word as being born again, born from above in in John chapter 3. That one is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. He's not asking the gospel, listen to me, the gospel never, never. Never, I can't say it's strong enough for you. The gospel never tells us to find middle ground on some continuum between right-left politics, right-left conservative, right-left theology, right-left how we look at our worldview. Never does it say, find the middle. It always says, look up and get off the continuum and get into the presence of your king. Then you can judge, then you can be wise, then you can look at things and sift through and be salt and light and sacrifice and service. What a world this would be, my friends, if we all did this together. If we beat our swords into plowshares, for goodness sakes, but if Joe Biden wins the election. There are Christian people in our country that are ready to take up arms. Yes, there are Christians ready to take up arms. And our King says to us, those that take up the sword will die by the sword. And we have the audacity to say, I have gun rights. I have more guns than any of you in this room. But it's a privilege to have those guns and they can be taken away from me. And nothing, nothing on this earth should cause us to take that kind of a posture that we are ready to slay our fellow citizens because one party in this land wins over the other. And the reason we feel like that is because one side is scaring us to death. Sowing fear. Do you understand me? This is important. I I have not been given a spirit of fear. I have been given a spirit of what? What? Love and power and a sound mind. And I'm not going to be afraid. Are there times to take up arms? Yes. But not over an election, unless you're terrified and scared. Regardless of who wins, by the way. There are people on the other side, Trump wins again. Oh my God, let's burn down the country. And Christians are getting bolted side to side like a wave. The waves are whipping us and we don't have an anchor for our soul. James is telling us wisdom. Jesus is wisdom, by the way. If you read your Bible, you know He embodied wisdom. So listen to me. Our source of wisdom is not hell. It's not this fire that has been set ablaze in our hearts by our own tongue and by the tongues of others. We're finding ourselves getting all like this. We cannot do that. Why? Because the expression, we looked at the source, now look at the expression and I'll finish with this. There's a false expression of wisdom. He describes that in 14 and 16. If you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast. Don't be false to the truth. Because where bitterness is, where jealousy is, where selfish ambition is, Look at what he says, folks. Disorder and every vile practice. Disorder and every vile practice. But there's also a true expression. And look at verse 17. What we're looking for in our churches in our in our hearts in our own motivations in our children for goodness sakes is a pureness a holiness a a complete devotion one heartedness one love one true love that will push out the vile and the evil and will propel us Where humility one one commentator said it's humility in practice It's being humble and just living that way. That's what purity is. It's peaceable. In other words, we love peace. We don't want, you know, some people want violence. We don't want violence. We want peace. We're gentle. We're open to reason. We're willing to listen to the other side. I don't know what side you're on, but are you at least willing to listen to the other side? Have a conversation with somebody you don't agree with and not try to, you know, tear them apart. But listen. Understand their journey, their life. People's lives are different. My journey was a certain... You can never reduplicate my journey. You wouldn't want to. And I can't reduplicate yours. But we don't listen. We're too angry to listen. Are we open to reason? Do we yield? Or are we teachable? Are we full of mercy? Is there spacious? Is there room in our lives for for broken people? Can we bring them in and say, you know, this person is not... Jesus went out and who did He go to dinner with, folks? He went to dinner with those that are busted and broken. And He brought them in. So that in His presence they could be changed, for goodness sakes. Impartial. Look at that. I mean, come on. I don't even have to define it. We are to be impartial, sincere. In other words, sincerity is being able to make right judgments. In other words, you're going to have complex things that are before you. And you're going to be asked by God to make judgments over those complex things and move through with sincerity, with integrity, uh, with love, with humility, with an openness uh, to hear people's voices and to, and to be a light for this world. This is what James is getting at. How do you do it? Listen, James, his whole letter, James was the brother of Jesus, if we understand this right. He was Jesus' brother, and he heard his brother, he lived with his brother, and he knew his brother. And James is recalling and recapitulating, if you will, the teaching of our Lord. Listen, to the Sermon on the Mount. Just listen and see how it, how it lines up with these words of James. Listen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for their, it, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the mourn, those that mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed the hunger, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Every one of these he's mentioned already in his letter. Blessed are the peacemakers called the children of God. Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness. Theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. When they persecute and falsely speak evil against you. Here's the key. Because of me. Because of me. James is saying, wake up meekness, purity, humble heart, mourning. How do, how do you get there? He's, rec- he's making you remember. Who said these words? Why are we blessed? Why could Jesus, how could He with, a, without, uh, with an honest and sincere face, an honesty, how could He say all these things about you're blessed if this happens to you? How? because He was poor in spirit, because He mourned, because He was gentle, because He hungered and thirsted after righteousness. The gospel is never Never what you do for God. The Gospel is always what Jesus did and continues to do for us. And because of that, because He went through all of that, James and all the apostolic witnesses and the prophets of the Old Testament, the whole Bible is crying out to us to trust our Savior, to become wise and listen to Him, to draw near to Him. The Gospel is not what you do for Him, but what Jesus did for you. Poor in spirit, humble, gentle, thirsting for righteousness. Come to Me, all you that that are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He lived that perfect life and died that death for us and as us in our place. And a few verses after He says these words, listen to this. Jesus says... I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to do it for you. Not so that you won't have to. Not so you won't have to, but so you can do this. Will you do it? Will you trust Him? This is what we want for our church, for our people, to be those people. Will you trust Him? Hope you will. Father, we thank You. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes this is overwhelming when I think of what Jesus did for us. And all He's asking is that we trust Him. Lord Jesus, please, we trust You. Help us. Save us. And have mercy on us according to Your grace. Amen.